Hello and welcome to the Manager Mojo Show. Steve Caldwell here and we're so glad that you're here. We use our mojo to really become greater leaders. Now, let's get started by listening to something good. Have you ever went through one of those construction zones uh, where a road's being, be being built and it's near your home and you thought, oh my goodness, this is going to be a disaster because you knew you were going to be inconvenienced and uh, it was going to take forever and you would just have to find another way to navigate back to your house. Well, I've got to tell you that uh, if you were like we were recently, uh, and you had Hunter Contracting and Engineering in Gilbert, Arizona in charge of your project, then you wouldn't have had any problem whatsoever. These guys for the last year rebuilt a major uh, intersection near us that had not one but two railroad crossings. And I've got to tell you, uh, my wife and I, Cindy, were never more impressed by anyone in our entire career. Uh, Hunter uh, Contracting just does an unbelievable job. The individuals that were working on that road always kept uh, the, the signs up. You could navigate through with no problem whatsoever. And it was just so darn easy. So our hat uh, is tipped and salute to the great team at Hunter Contracting and Engineering in Gilbert, Arizona. Great job. We appreciate all of your work. Hello and welcome everyone to the Manager Mojo Show. Steve Caldwell here, and I am thrilled to introduce my special guest today, Mr. Rajiv Peshavria. Uh, and I sure hope I did that uh, last name well, Rajiv, but I'm, I'm doing the best I can with my southern accent here. So uh, Rajiv is the CEO of the iCliff Leadership and Governance Center. Uh, he's authored two books, uh, actually three now, uh, Too Many Bosses, Too Few Leaders, Be the Change, and the book that we're going to talk about today is his latest book called Open Source Leadership, and you're going to be in for a treat whenever we start talking about this book. It's really outstanding. Rajiv uh, has uh, held a lot of positions. He's formerly Chief Learning Officer at Coca-Cola and Morgan Stanley. He's held senior positions at American Express and Goldman Sachs. Uh, he writes regularly for Forbes. He's a coach, a consultant. He advises companies worldwide. He's been featured on CNN, uh, Bloomberg, National Public Radio, Harvard Business Review, and many, many others. He's been named one of the top 100 global thought leaders for trustworthy business and a 2017 top, top thought leader in trust by Trust Across America. He's lived in, and his family have lived in 14 cities, eight countries. Rajiv, welcome to the Manager Mojo Show. Glad you could fit us in. Thank you so much for having me. 
Well, it's going to be exciting. And uh, before we get uh, started talking about open source leadership, why don't you share with our listeners what fun thing that you've been up to lately outside of work? Well, one of the most fun things I did um, uh, uh, last week, actually, was visit Seattle, Washington for the first time and uh, visit with my kids who just moved there. Oh, that's it's a beautiful city, isn't it? It is, it is, and I've never been, so it was it was a lot of fun. Well, uh, I've been, I've had the opportunity to be a num- uh, to visit it a number of times, including I just missed you by a week. I was there two weeks ago. Oh, is that right? Okay, it's a beautiful city. So yeah, Rajiv, we got some great weather. Yeah. Oh, uh, I'm glad you did. We had rain when I was there, so it, it turned uh, it, the rain got out of there. I brought, it, I took it home with me. So uh, let's talk about open source leadership. I I find your book totally fascinating, and uh, I'm really interested uh, in learning more about it. Why don't you set the platform, tell our listeners, what do you mean by open source leadership? You know, um, when I talk to live audiences, one of the I usually open by asking a question. I say, raise your hand if you believe Technology has changed our lives dramatically, both at home and at work, just in the last five years. My hands raised. And everybody raises their hand. <laughs> and then I say, okay, now raise your hand if you believe that large companies or organizations are keeping up with that change when it comes to their management and leadership practices. And you know what? Nobody raises their hand the second time. <laughs> so in a nutshell, that's how I describe the book. That's what the book is all about. <laughs> It it, uh, it it really is fascinating. I want to uh, share with our listeners. Uh, it, it, this is not your normal how-to book because what uh, Rajiv does is encourages us to think by asking questions. And uh, I'm I'm actually quoting from the book. Uh, he says it's with the right questions that leaders first imagine, then create a better future. So rather than answers, this book provides questions. And I love that fact because uh, I, I find it to be true. Uh, now, I know you did a, a tremendous amount of research in this book. You interviewed, I believe, over 16,000 people uh, to, to really talk about what uh, various things that you asked them. But one of the things that's very surprising is that you asked those, uh, those people whether they preferred an autocratic, top-down style of leadership or a democratic, uh, all-inclusive style of leadership. Why don't you share what you discovered? Yeah, so, you know, uh, just a little bit of background. Uh, you know, you pick up any literature on leadership, whether a book or, uh, or something online, and if it's about leadership styles, uh, chances are it will sing the praises of the democratic, all-inclusive style of leadership being the best way to go. And yet you look at people like Steve Jobs, Jeff Bezos, uh, Elon Musk, or if you go east, uh, you know, look at the founding father and uh, former prime minister of Singapore, Lee Kuan Yew. All of these people rocked the history of the planet by doing the exact opposite, which is they were autocrats. So that got me thinking, so which one of the two is true, you know? Mm-hmm. And so uh, particularly in the open source era, which is an era of speed, and, you know, you need to innovate fast and you need to innovate frequently in order to survive. So which style of leadership is best suited, particularly in the current times? So we asked 16,000 people in 28 countries, what do, they, what, what do they think? And to our complete surprise, all 28 countries said autocratic, top-down leadership was the need of the hour. 
without exception, every single one of our 28 countries, uh, <laughs> over 75% of our global database agreed or strongly agreed that yes, it was required. Isn't, isn't that fascinating? Uh, I, I, I must admit that I am not surprised uh, simply because uh, I've, I've had a lot of conversations with leaders that are struggling and mm-hmm. uh, I, I kind of see this myself, but I absolutely get it. Everybody's saying do the opposite whenever their people actually want that autocratic style. So uh, in, in your opinion, based on your research, why don't you share why do people uh, prefer someone like Steve Jobs? Uh, even though everybody knew he was, uh, he was abrasive at times. I mean, mm-hmm. what are some of the things that people are looking for in an autocratic leader? Well, people want to know where we are going. And, uh, you know, even though we, we idealize uh, uh, democratic inclusive leadership, but we've always felt the need for security, for knowing, uh, you know, where we're going and the place that we're going to is a, is a, is a, is a safe, better place than today is. Um, and if you look throughout history, you know, on the other, on the other hand, the, the human condition is to be loved and liked and be accepted. Mm-hmm. So most people end up becoming pleasers rather than being leaders, because to be a leader, you've got to open yourself up to vulnerability, because if you say, let's create a better future, which is what the definition of leadership should be, uh, you know, you open yourself up to conflict. People don't like change. So, you know, for, for the, at least the short term, you face a lot of resistance. Now, uh, you know, uh, so people lo- love being liked. People love being loved. And most people will say, ah, in the interest of general feedback, I will give up my idea and I'll do what people say. Well, that's not leadership. So if you've seen a picture of a better future and you believe the world is going to be better off with it, be prepared to face the resistance and be prepared to face the unpopularity and be prepared to be autocratic about your values and your purpose. Only then you're going to create that beautiful future. I I totally agree. And I, I think it's awesome. Uh, that you've done so much research behind this and uh, you've discovered it and, and, and yet people are, are struggling uh, with really understanding what they need to do and it, there are a lot of different reasons for that. Uh, but uh, what do you consider to be uh, the, the top five keys of being a positive autocrat? Yeah, so, you know, uh, my data is saying that to, 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 to succeed in the age of speed, you need to be an autocrat. On the other hand, we live in an era where ordinary people are super empowered, much more empowered than ever before. Why? Because they've got a, a, a weapon of mass destruction in their pocket. I mean, a, 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 a smartphone, which is a, as powerful as a supercomputer from uh, 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Now, with that weapon of mass destruction, I can, I can destroy or make somebody's reputation within seconds. I am that empowered today. So leaders, on the other hand, are completely exposed to the extent of being naked, mm-hmm. right? Uh, look at the last presidential election campaign, and you know what I mean by naked. Yep, so, absolutely. Uh, we, this is what I call the, uh, the, 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 the 21st century leadership dilemma. The data says you need to be autocratic in order to create, create uh, breakthrough results. But your people won't let you because they are empowered more than ever before in history. So the answer is to be a positive autocrat and practice the five keys of positive autocracy, as you said. I'll I'll, I'll talk them through very, very quickly in the interest of time. First is uh, you have to earn the right to be an autocrat. People must believe that you are a better future creator. And how will they believe it? If you pursue uh, the right purpose, 
backed by the right values 24 7 365 mm-hmm. are you prepared to live those values even if it hurts and is your purpose a values-based purpose and if people know that you've got their back and that you're building a better future for them they will give you the right so that's the first one second you need to provide people freedom within a framework so rather than burying people up under rules procedures and policies give them the freedom to operate with a set of values Here are the overarching values of the organization. Here's the overall purpose of the organization. Within that, do what you want. Uh, But but being autocratic about those uh, values and purpose is the most important thing. Number three is you've got to practice and get good at what I call the dance of the naked autocrat. Mm. Uh, What what that means is you've got to be completely autocratic about your values and your purpose. Why? Because you've thought that through very carefully, very slowly, very deliberately. At the same time, you've got to be super humble and respectful with people. All Sound like uh, two opposites, but they are very much, um, uh, you know, that's the dance of the naked autocrat. Uh, seemingly two opposites, you've got to balance them all the time. Good Hello? point. Good point. Yeah. And number four is, uh, is you have to listen, learn, and reflect continuously. Even though you have a very set values, uh, set of values and, and a very clear purpose, doesn't mean that you now wear blinkers and don't listen because the world is changing too fast and be prepared to change your opinion if you need to. And finally, the fifth key to positive autocracy is to forgive more often. Now, forgiveness is not just good for the soul. It liberates the soul. Yes, that's true. But I have a business reason to say why forgive more often. Because if you want your organization to thrive today, you need constant and frequent innovation. If you want innovation, you want your people to try different things. If people try different things, they're going to fail most of the time. So are you going to forgive and celebrate that failure? If you do, you're going to get tons of innovation. People may fail 80% of the times, but the 20% that they succeed, that's going to be breakthrough innovation. If you don't forgive, nobody's going to take risks, and you're not going to get innovation. Totally. So those, in a nutshell, are the five keys. Uh, they're great, uh, great keys. And I'll, I'll tell you, if you practice them uh, consistently, as you said, 24-7, 365, you're, you're going uh, to, to get stuff done. And uh, that's kind of a fun thing for me. Uh, now, you mentioned in the book uh, something that I, that I think is very, very important. And uh, I know that uh, people today are enamored uh, with engagement surveys, and they they want to know whether people are really engaged. And you know, frankly, you don't you shouldn't have to have a a survey to know if your people engaged. Just walk down the middle of the building and see how many <laughs> exactly. of them are, are screwing off instead of doing their job. But, mm-hmm. uh, but people want to have those surveys. I get that. But uh, you, you mentioned the Pareto principle. So mm-hmm. why don't you uh, share a little bit about what you discovered and your thoughts on that? Because I, I find them to be very, very insightful. You know, there's two problems with, the, uh, with, 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 with employee engagement surveys, uh, particularly in companies where they link the results of the employee survey by leader to his or her compensation. Okay, so if I know that I am going to be judged for my leadership, quote unquote, my leadership through my employee survey results, right? right. Uh, what, do you, what do you think I become? I become a pleaser because I want my people to rate me highly because my bonus depends on it, right? Right. So I don't make tough decisions which are right for the company. I uh, do all the things that please my people 
And, uh, uh, you know, anything, I'll do anything to get that high number. So pleasing, last I checked, the dictionary was an act of followership, not leadership. So it's ironical that the very thing that they want to reward me for and measure me for, leadership, they're actually measuring my followership. <laughs> Go figure. Secondly, the, the, <laughs> exactly, the, the, the other problem, uh, you know, it's funny, is this. You mentioned the Pareto Principle, right? The Pareto Principle says 20% of your people will, will produce 80% of your results. And that's true. In most organizations, we have something called a performance bell curve, where 20% are top performers, 60% are average performers, and 20% are bottom performers. And typically, the top 20% are associated with 80% of the results, with help from the other 80, but uh, they are the most important. Now, typical employee engagement survey. Send out the same survey to all 100% of your employees. Average out the data scores of each item. Calculate the bottom 10 items and then have a management meeting along with HR to say, what are we going to do this year to prop up the numbers next year, right? Mm -hmm. Now, what happens is, what, the question is, what happens to the voice of your top 20% when you average out the data? Uh, it gets I, I, drowned under the voice <laughs> of the remaining 80%, isn't it? It absolutely does. Uh, you and then to... my final question is, are you, by taking action on such data, are you promoting mediocrity or are you promoting excellence? I think more people ought to ask that question myself. Uh, exactly. I, I absolutely do. What are you really promoting in your organization, mediocrity or excellence? And uh, it, too often, I, I think we know the answer, but we struggle with, okay, what are, what are we going to do? How are we going to respond? Because people will use all types of, uh, of excuses. Uh, one of the biggest excuses is, you know, well, these, these millennials today, don't, they don't work hard enough. And, and we know that's not true. For, uh, they're not any, really any different than any other generation. But the leaders are stuck in the mentality of people pleasing so much that they cannot hold anybody accountable. And, and I, mm -hmm. I personally think that that accountability part of what leaders have to do is, is really where the rubber meets the road. I couldn't agree with you more. You know, you, you, I have a lot of fun when people start complaining about the millennial generation. Oh, they don't have the work ethic that our generation had. They want everything easy just because they can have it. <laughs> when, when, when somebody says that to me, here's what I say. Hey, uh, when you travel from one city to the other, do you use Google Maps or Waze? I say, yeah, we do. Hey, why don't you keep an atlas in your car? Because using Waze is easier? Because you can have it? And then I ask them, you know, when you keep your books for your business, do you use Quicken or Intuit or any other spreadsheet software? Oh, yeah, of course we do. Why do you use a computer? Why don't you keep manual books and use slide rules to calculate? Because it's easier? Because you can have it? <laughs> you know, so when I say these things, it's done silence on the other end because they just made the point that these people want everything easy because they can have it. Um, but you're right, absolutely. There is no, this generation is no different, you know. My parents probably said the same thing about me when I was a teenager. My grandparents probably said that about my parents when they were teenagers. <laughs> I don't think there's ever been a generation that didn't question the prior one. Uh, when it came to, you know, do they work hard? Do they have it tough? Or you don't have it as tough as we do. Those are excuses. And I, it, it just seems to me that uh, leaders have to get out of the excuse business and get into the results business. You bet. And who's to say that these people don't work hard enough? You know, just look at the, the load that college kids carry these days. 
I don't remember that kind of load during my college days. <laughs> I tried to avoid that kind of load myself. <laughs> exactly. I, I'm I'm not uh, I, I'm not afraid to say, hey, I use technology in every way I possibly can. <laughs> there you go. Uh, you know, when when you look at open source leadership, where everybody is uh, vulnerable, uh, what do you think the the how, how do how do we get out of this mentality that we we pick people uh, out of uh, our team and we say, well, okay, we're going to groom these people uh, for future leadership. We know that that doesn't work, but yet we continue to do it. So what are some yeah. what are some ways that we can start to ask ourselves questions and think about how do we discover that leader? Because you talk about it as as more energy, I believe. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So first of all, leadership is a burning desire to create a better future, right? The moment you say I want to create a better future, you face nothing but resistance, and yeah. therefore you need to have long-lasting intrinsic strength to not succumb to that resistance, and that's the force that I call leadership energy. So leadership is the art of harnessing that inner energy to create a better future, so that you can last you know, even 27 years in prison like Nelson Mandela did, and still not give up, right? Mm -hmm. Now, the question is, how do you produce the next generation of leaders? How do you do succession planning in companies? Uh, back in the 80s, the, the GE company gave us a gift, and that was the nine box grid where you plot all the employees on, a, on, on, on two axes. One side is performance, the other side is potential. And then the top right-hand corner uh, box are, are your future potential lead, high potential leaders, and you give them all kinds of training, you give them mentoring, coaching, stretch assignments, uh, you know, all kinds of help, and hope that in five years' time they'll be ready for future leadership. Uh, so that's that whole high potential-based, nine-box grid-based leadership succession Boards love to see those spreadsheets, and HR must make that presentation at least once a year. Uh, and see, we are doing this. What I'm suggesting is those days are over because it's almost impossible to predict today who will be your leader five years from now because five years, the world will have changed 5,000 times. Mm -hmm. Secondly, there's no guarantee that those people that you invest so much in will stay with you for five years, right? And Absolutely. thirdly, they might run out of energy. They may have energy today. They might not have energy tomorrow. So instead, imagine a situation where the CEO every year puts out a challenge to the entire employee population, and it goes something like this. Hey, guys, anybody that has any idea to add value to this company in any way whatsoever, submit your project by a certain date. We will look at all the projects, and the top 10 projects will be presented to the board. Okay. Uh, there is no barrier to entry, and neither are we going to tap anybody on the shoulder saying you participate, you want to do it, participate, don't want to participate, don't participate. Now, here's what will happen. The people, the employees, know the problems and the opportunities more than senior management because they are closest to the work, right? Mm -hmm. So the people that are raising their hands every year, forming little teams and submitting those projects, they are your future leaders. They're telling you year after year, I have energy, I have ideas, I have creativity, and I want to be a high performer. No need for artificial assessments and psychometric tests of my personality, et cetera, et cetera. Let the cream rise to the top. So that's what you can do in internally. I call this internal crowdsourcing. And then if you want innovation, 
beyond that, not just for leadership succession, uh, you open up, uh, you know, uh, you do innovation contests uh, even outside your company, mm-hmm. where you open up a problem to billions of people around the world and say, whoever gets this right will get a prize. So talent and, ab- and innovation now in the open source era are not scarce. They are abundant, and technology enables us to get to them. I totally agree, and I, I think we're on the way to a completely different way of looking at leadership and success in the future, and I'm excited about it. Rajiv, I know people are uh, are going to want to connect with you, and why don't you share how people could connect with you and your great work? Well, I, I, probably the best way to do it is to connect with me on social media. On Twitter, my handle is uh, uh, at Rajiv Peshavria, uh, LinkedIn. Um, uh, you're very f- uh, welcome to send me an email. Uh, my, my website is uh, rajivpeshavria.com. Uh, my company's website is uh, icliff.org, I-C-L-I-F.org. Uh, there's lots of material, information. By the way, all the research in this book um, is on an open source portal on icliff.org. So if you want to go and look at all the data by country, play with the data, take the surveys yourself, map it on the data, you can all do it all on icliff.org. I love it. And uh, as always, for those of you that are listening today and you're exercising, uh, I'll make sure that we put uh, links to be able to go to iCliff.org and some of these other ways. We'll try to make sure that we get that done to make it easy for you. Uh, I highly recommend uh, that uh, you absolutely get a copy of this book, Open Source Leadership. We'll put a link in the post so that you can, uh, can go get it. Uh, I promise you it will open up your eyes and uh, you, you need uh, to get this kind of information. Uh, Rajiv, uh, as we come to a close today, uh, I wonder if you might uh, recommend the top two or three action items that people should take after hearing our discussion today. Well, the first thing is to, uh, is to admit that the open source era is here and that it is very different from the 20th century. You know, 40% of the U.S. workforce is already opting for free agency, which means they have all the freedom they want in how to work and when to work and how much to work without having a boss. So if you have traditional full-time employees under you, understand that you need to give them about as much freedom as free agents have if you want them to be motivated because, you know, command and control days are completely over. Totally agree. Totally agree. What else? What other actions should we take? And the other, uh, if, they, if I may add one more, is, you know, running Absolutely. an organization or leading a large ecosystem is one thing, and that you can get to. But the first basic foundation of leadership is what I tend to call inner engineering, which is to get sorted yourself first. What are my values that I will never compromise, even if it hurts me or my loved ones? And do I have a values-based purpose? What is it? Answer those questions. Great questions. Uh, Great questions for all of us. Rajiv, it's been an absolute joy uh, to to hear your thoughts on leadership and our future in leadership. Uh, Your uh, insightfulness has encouraged all of us to ask more questions. And so thank you for putting this work out there for all of us. And on behalf of all of our audience here, we wish you continued success and we look forward to seeing a lot of these principles and, uh, that you have suggested. Uh, I'm looking forward to watching them come true over the next few years. 
Thank you so much for uh, having me on your show. It's been awesome. Thank you, sir.